Welcome to America's Heroes Group podcast with information and resources that's disseminated intentionally to empower our military population with host Vietnam veteran Cliff Kelly, co-host Iraq veteran Colonel Dr. Damon Arnold, and co-host Army National Guard veteran Sean Claiborne. And now, America's Heroes Group podcast. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Welcome to America's Heroes Group on WVON 1690 AM, the talk of Chicago. I am Vietnam veteran host Cliff Kelly. America's Heroes Group is a live streaming podcast, global platform, radio, print, and digital media broadcast show that empowers change agents through intentionally disseminating information, resources, and referrals to empower our military population. And welcome to America's Heroes Group, a roundtable with community outreach. You just heard the great voice of our dear host, Cliff Kelly. I'm Sean Claiborne, the co-host. Our executive producer is Glenda Smith, and our digital media producer is Ivan Ortega of Scouts Honor Production. Today is Saturday, April 23rd, 2022. And today we have a very, very intense show. We're going to have a lot of things to talk about. Make sure you go to our Facebook page and see us live on Facebook right now. We're live streaming on Facebook. Also see us on YouTube and other digital platforms. Leave your comments, like, subscribe, and also let us know what's on your mind. Let us know how we can reach out to you and talk about the things that matter to you, not just the veteran community, but people that care about veterans, people that care about this country, people that care about the defense of this nation, and also the things that are going on around the world. Let us know what's on your mind. We have a great guest today. He's a panelist, Larry Sapp. He's a U.S. Army veteran, an MST survivor. That stands for Military Sexual Trauma. And he's also a Salt Village trustee. How are you doing, Larry? How do you do, sir? Thank you for having me. It's our pleasure. Pleasure's all mine. So then now, you want to talk about something that is dear to your heart and also is on your mind that people need to talk about, and that's the current unfair treatment based on circumstances stemming from MST or military sexual trauma and people's past experiences. So what can you tell us about that? Well, sir, I joined the military in um, 1975, so that was 47 years ago, and I was sexually assaulted once I joined. At that at that time, there was no uh, there was no PTSD clinics available to help veterans or men or women who suffered from uh, these kind of traumas. And I was left thinking that at that point that I was more like a perpetrator than a victim, and I felt you know I left there feeling ashamed and and unwanted. I my manhood had actually been stripped from me. Hmm. And so I, I didn't know what to do. Before I joined, I had never had a drink or smoke, nothing. Not, my intention was to join and become a police officer. However, that that changed on June 6, 1975, after I was sexually assaulted. So wow. I left the military with no recourse, no guidance, no therapy, no psychologist, nothing. I was on my own, and I was too ashamed to uh, share what had happened to me with my family, with my friends. I, I couldn't tell nobody what happened. So I, was, I was that ashamed of what had happened. And so as a result of that, when the nightmares start coming and the, the, the 
tape kept playing over and over about the event and how painful it was. I, I tried to hide it in a bottle, and that didn't do it for long, so I moved on to other substances. And, uh, of course, I got addicted to, to drugs. In 1987, I got caught using drugs, and I was put on probation by being Judge Strayhorn. And I was trying to get help with this thing. I really was. I know what I did was wrong. It was a bad decision for me to start using drugs, but I didn't know or had anywhere else to turn. I went on from 1987 to 1996, and then I got caught. Again, at that time, I got sentenced to uh, 18 months in, in prison. Well, I did 18 months. I had sat in county jail for a year, so I pleaded guilty because that time, they actually, the police just they just got me because I was in the wrong area, and I had the previous case. After sitting in the county for so long with it, I went on and pleaded guilty so I could get out. And at at when I got out of prison for using drugs, the military had finally decided that they were going to own up to the fact that this had happened, not only to me, but to other veterans. And they had developed uh, the clinics that would provide services for us to be able to face it. And which was the only way I could clean my act up and leave the drugs alone. And I managed to do that in 1996 from 1996 to this day. I had never, Touch the drug, a drink, or a cigarette. That's that was twenty six years ago. How hard was that I to stop quit for, like that, sir? How hard was that to just, just did you stop cold turkey? What was that process to get off that addiction? It was it was it was very very difficult to do because you know now I'm facing not just the monster of the uh, of the event which I you know I used to have nightmares about it. I couldn't sleep and I was afraid to go to sleep because the dreams would come and they would bother me. And once I got hooked on drugs, that was a whole nother monster that had me doing things that I never believed I would do, you know, hustling in the street just to satisfy that crave for the drug. It it just got that bad. So when I got out, I, I, I believe the year in prison enabled me to come to my senses or, or get, get a grip, with the fact that I needed help with this thing, both the drugs and the and the trauma. And fortunately enough for me, they they had a program in the county jail at that time. It was Division 14, which was a drug unit. And they put me over in the drug unit, and I had a counselor over there who had suffered in the same manner of which I suffered. He was telling me that there was a program available for veterans now develops. So when I got out of prison, I sought that program out over in a level uh, VA facility out in Great Lakes. I went out there and uh, I was able to start going to talk to doctors, but they still misdiagnosed me. They wouldn't accept the fact that, you know, I had the problem that I had. They would, they would diagnose me as being bipolar they would diagnose me as being schizophrenic and lock me up on the seventh floor. That's the that's the psych unit. Hmm. And I just got tired of it, and I ran, but I didn't use. I finally met uh, Dr. Bear at uh, at the Great Lakes Naval uh, facility, 
and he was a professional psychologist who only who specialized in dealing with uh veterans who suffered from uh military sexual trauma and he took me in and, and showed me how I could deal with it. He also made me realize that I was not alone. He showed me that there were other veterans who had similar problems to mine. In fact, the same problem as mine. And in which then I learned that this wasn't just an isolated incident. You know, was I was lying to. The that revealed that whole incident too was he the first person you talked to about this, or was there other people? Doctor Bear, yes, he was. A, he was the first person wow. that I revealed it to, and he sent me down to uh, the Bay Pines facility in Florida for ninety days. He sent me down there, and down there I learned that it was a nationwide problem with military sexual assault. And uh, they taught me how to cope with it to an extent that I didn't need drugs anymore to deal with it because I had a group that I could go to and I had people that I could talk to that understood where where I was with it. And that's that's what enabled me to really stop using the drugs along with my participation in uh, NA groups. But once I once I realized what caused me to use that, that's the part that made it easier for me to quit when I when I understood why I did it in the first place. And so I just wanted to I just wanted to be the the person I felt I was meant to be. I, I really wanted to be a good man. I always tried to help people. So as I got better and better at coping with it, I, I knew that this was a, a life sentence really you know, dealing with this thing because it always flares back up. You always have the thought, but I have a phone number I can call. I have someone I can talk to. They even took my wife in and trained her on looking for triggers or certain things that would, you know, give me flashbacks. Mm-hmm. So my wife understood where I was, and that was a great help right there. And it's still a great help today because she understands the nature of it. I didn't even tell her what happened to me. She opened my mail from the VA and found out, so I was forced to divulge that information to her. Wow. So, you're, so while you're going through therapy, your wife didn't even know what was going on. Pardon me? While you were going through this therapy treatment, your wife didn't even know the whole time until she found that mail. No, she didn't know. She didn't know what I was going there for, and I never, I never did disclose it to her because I was still ashamed. I was still ashamed of what happened to me. I didn't want her to know. I, I felt like... You know, sometimes people know about stuff like that, and they look at you different. They look down on you, and and I had suffered from that before, and I didn't want that. I didn't want to lose her. And you know, I had lost my family and friends because of my behavior. You know, because of the the PTSD and also the drug use, my behavior became so erratic that I didn't want to be around my family. I didn't want to be around my children. So when I you, lost told, when a you lot. told her, did she? How did she react when you when you actually confessed or talked about what was going on about the the assault? She, how did she, she respond? My wife was so so supportive. It was it was to me it was a relief. It was actually a relief that she found out about it because she cried with me about it. You know, she actually understood what had happened to me, and I didn't expect that because people have been treating me so negatively and I was trying to hide from them, but I didn't expect her to be as understanding as she was about it. And so when I talked to Dr. Bear about, you know, her finding out about it, he told me to bring her. 
bring her over. Of course, she couldn't come in the actual group with the other veterans who had suffered, but she was able to do some one-on-ones with him and then some sessions with him and myself so that she would understand the nature of what I was going through to an extent that would enable her to support me better. And that that helped. That was a tremendous help. And, And she encouraged me to just try to start living again. And that's what I've been doing ever since then, just trying to live and help. I started an organization in Chicago called Hope for Change where we help people with, you know, their rent. We help people with their bills. And, and my main goal was to help other veterans fill out claims because they had taught me how to do that down in uh, Bay Pine. So that's that was one of the things that I was most satisfied with is I was able to help people get their claims done because even though these things actually happen and they're very, very true, the VA claim center will still deny claims depending on how you word it or how you conduct yourself in the cop and pen hearing. Hmm. Do you you think that's an unfair part of the the process of trying to get treatment? I think it is because, first of all, first of all, they they still are in denial. I, I, I think it has to do with not wanting to give the military a black eye, especially when you consider back then we were in the Vietnam era conflict. So you were you were really caught between a rock and a hard place because if you didn't go, you know, at that time you could still get drafted. And if you did go, when you come home, our society didn't accept the fact that we were even in the campaign. So people... People got hated if they didn't go, and they got hated when they came back from serving. So it was very, very difficult. They hated coming and going. For veterans. Kicking the butt, coming and going. <laughs> yeah. Kicking the front, it was hard. Yeah, it was hard. It was hard. I mean, people can be cruel, especially when they don't understand the circumstances surrounding something. We went by, you know, just our sheer obedience and, and want to serve this country. That's what it was all about for me. I just wanted to be a part of America. I wanted to be a real American. And I felt like if I served, I could I could benefit from it also. Maybe I could come back and be the police officer I want to be. Because I, at the time, I took a leave of absence from the Chicago Northwestern Railroad to join because I did want to be a police officer. But moving forward, I finally got myself in a position that I can manage. Mm-hmm. So I came out here to Salt Village and uh, I entered into the not just the politics, but we started an organization out here. My sister and I, who's also the president of the school board, and uh, another young lady, library board, I'm sorry, and another young lady, Redonna Brown, who's the uh, vice president of the school board. Okay. We got together and we started an organization called Progressive Awareness Movement, and then we decided that we could make a change in this village if if we just had some seats on these boards. And so the mayor at the time was running for re-election. He came to my house and he introduced himself, and we, we got along very well. He was a very nice man. And so I shared my story with him before we decided to get on the ballot. I let him know everything that was going on with me and that I did have a pardon request in the works, which I felt like after 26 years of going through what I've been through, 
for 47 years that this pardon would be granted. Even the uh, the uh, review board, when I submitted the pardon, they they also thought that I would get the pardon. They recommended it. Did you get it? No, they denied it. They denied it. Why did, and what was the reasoning for them denying it? What was their explanation? The reason, the best reason that I got after, you know, I challenged that decision, and I'm still challenging that decision. That's 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 more hurting to me now than all this stuff I've been going through because I know that after 26 years of sobriety, 26 years of clean living, that I should have been granted the pardon. So I was asking the question, what's the criteria for, for getting the pardon? And then I told, I was told that this is a political year and somebody did somebody a favor because of my stance in the village against a certain individual hmm. that they, they called on a favor. And, and so I said, well, well, how did they deny me the part? What was it based on? And so the answer came back to me that I didn't learn my lesson in 1987 because I got caught again in 1996. And so, from 1996 to 19 to 2022, wasn't enough for me to get the part the part because I had those two convictions. That was, and it didn't make sense to me. But that was the answer that I was given. So then, now because of their decision, what are the consequences to your life today? Because I know a lot of people that go through this type of situation, that could be a lot. The big difference in their employment history it could make a big difference. Educational opportunities. It makes the difference in your life all together because I still feel like I'm enslaved. You know, I got this albatross around my neck and they won't release me from it. I want to be free. I want to die a free man. And the consequences to that is now I'm being challenged by the state's attorney's office for my seat. Wow. For my seat. And I've earned this seat and I've been doing a good job. I've been very helpful to people. So that's where I am now. And I'm hoping that you know, I, Governor Priest is a good man. I've worked on this campaign before I even considered um, coming out here running for office. So I believed in him. And I believe that if he himself would have revealed this, that that pardon would be granted. And I, I'm trying to get it in front of him. I'm trying to get him to take a look at it because I believe that if he takes a look at it, there's nothing there to substantiate a denial. Nothing. I believe that if the governor sees it himself, that he'll do the right thing by me and grant the pardon. And I've I've uh, I've been blessed to have uh, Daniel Daly with uh, Kingdom Litigators to to sponsor me in this. He's a he's a great attorney out of Jim Montgomery's office. He's one he was mentored by Jim Montgomery, who used to be the the corporate counsel for the city of Chicago. So, so Mr. Daly took up the fight with me, and uh, most of it, I gotta say, is he's doing a, a tremendous job for me. And I'm my my whole thing now is how do I compensate this man? You know, it's a struggle all the way around, and I know that it's expensive, you know, for an attorney to have to do what he's doing. And so that's that's my that's my fight right now is to get the thing in front of the governor and that's the, that's really the help I need. My struggle in the village, I can handle that. You know, I'm I'm battle tested. I've came through what I've came through and and 
I thank God I'm alive because I know a lot of people that not only took their own life, but took the life of others, mm. you know, from suffering from what I've been suffering with. But God has blessed me with the strength to endure and overcome a lot of circumstances surrounding these events. Mm-hmm. And believe me, there's a lot of branches on this tr- on this tree that there's not enough time and, and hours in the day for me to even tell you the entire story of the sequence of events that developed one up there, another because of my military sexual trauma, which happened 47 years ago. And then 36 years ago, I got caught for the first time. And I was actually glad I did get caught. It gave me a break. And then 26 years ago, I was caught. And that was the time that I was allowed to to free myself, at least from the drugs, because I found out also at that time I had prostate cancer. Mm. So I freed myself from two monsters. I still live with the with the anguish of what happened to me in 1975. But what's more hurtful now is that, you know, people are taking advantage of that and trying to victimize me again with this denial and just to do somebody else a favor. Let me ask you this, though, before we have about 30 seconds left. So let me ask you this. What can what are the things that we need to do as society in order to help people? Because there's men and women going through this right now. How do we stop the cycle? How do we prevent this from being a, a systematic thing that it is today? I think what we need to do is we have to look at the way the laws are structured. Yeah, the laws need to be changed with regard to how the the, the expunging process takes place mm-hmm. and how even the uh, reviews are taken because the, the, the person that's getting the, the pardon has no idea who's doing it. He's not allowed to to uh, even appeal the decision. You have to wait another year. I don't, I don't, I don't, I shouldn't have to wait another year. We should be allowed an appeal process. And Mr. again, for me, Mr. Sabi, we got it. We got to take a, I, take a break because we are out of time. I really appreciate you coming on our show and I really appreciate your story. Yes, sir. And we got to get you back on the show Thank too, you. as well. So be careful. Take, take the time. I wish you success. This is America's heroes group. We'll be right back. Thank you for listening to America's Heroes Group podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you won't miss an episode. And for more details, visit americashg.org.